Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're very welcome to a special episode of At The Margin. This episode is a panel discussion with members of the Executive Committee of the Irish Society for Women in Economics, or ISWI for short. I'm joined by Bronany Kofig, Karen Arlsami, Dara Flannery and Juana Paya to discuss the issue of women in economics and what motivated the creation of ISWI. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Maybe we could kick off this discussion where we maybe go around and everybody can just introduce themselves and say where you're working. Thanks, Niall. Yeah, so my name is Bronany Kuffig. Um, I'm co-chair of ISWI, the Irish Society for Women in Economics, along with Dr. Orla Doyle in UCD. So ISWI, the Irish Society for Women in Economics, we, we came out of the Athena Swan process in UCD. So the Athena Swan process uh, is uh, an accreditation process for academic institutions across Ireland and the UK, uh, where departments uh, within within a university are awarded bronze, silver or gold on the basis of gender diversity. And UCD, the UCD Economics Department uh, went through the Athena Swan process under Dr. Orla Doyle in the department there. And one of the, the commitments from that process was to set up ISWI, an Irish Society for Women in Economics. This was back in kind of April or May earlier this year. Uh, Orla hosted a, a cross-Ireland collaborative workshop uh, to, to start sense-checking the idea and put it out to people. And from that, uh, we, we've, myself and Orla are now co-chairs and we've built an executive committee with representation from institutions across the country. Um, we, are, we are kind of working around three core pillars for delivery. So we've got public debate and discussion, life cycle and career and education and training. And then we have a governance, a governance working group um, and we have a communications and kind of outreach working group. And the intention behind each of these pillars is to explore the barriers and to, to women's participation in, in economics and the implications of that and to use that, that data and evidence uh, to affect impact and to influence changes in these sectors. Um, at the moment, we are uh, building a, a mailing list and a registry of female economists across the country. And we're on Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and really keen for anyone who's interested to get in touch. Very good. Uh, Karen? My name is Karen Arulsami. I'm a final year PhD student at University College Dublin. Very good. Uh, Dara? Dara Flannery. I'm a lecturer in economics at the Kemi Business School in the University of Limerick. Very good. And Wana? Hi, I'm Wana Pea. I'm an assistant professor in the School of Economics at UCD. Okay, very good. Well, thanks, guys, for, for coming along here um, for this discussion. I suppose. In terms of uh, what we're discussing, we're looking at maybe uh, diversity in economics and women in economics. Um, 
and the Irish Society for Women in Economics. But maybe just to kick it off, uh, and it's probably a bit obvious, but I suppose it's a nice way to anchor the discussion. What exactly is the issue that we're, we're concerned with here what, in terms of, I suppose, broad strokes? Thanks. Well, I guess, thanks, Niall. I guess I'll kind of give a bit of context from an ISWI perspective. I think for ISWI, the Irish Society for Women in Economics, what we're aiming for is to support diversity in economics. And that's diversity in voices in terms of who's making decisions and what the design is. So if we think about economics as really being about outcomes and then the design structures for those outcomes, we know that who's designing those structures really matters. So in the tech sector, we think an awful lot about UX, so user design. And we know that having representation uh, in terms of plurality of voices in design really matters for policy impacts and policy outcomes. And in Ireland, we know that we only have 22.5% of our TDs are women. So the people making decisions is really underrepresented. And then when we think about who who the structures, the, the design structures within that, in the civil service with 18 government departments, only four of them are led by women. And eight government departments actually have no, have less than 50% women in senior leadership roles. And there's two government departments that have no women in senior leadership roles. So when you track that through to who's making decisions and who's designing the economic structures, which set the context for Ireland's strategic delivery, both now and going forward, it really matters to make sure that you've got people who are thinking outside of their own outside of their own boxes, their own life experience, and their own world experience to set the, to set where we want Ireland to go. And we know that from a production process, if you think of economics in a, in a production line, we know that who it starts really early on. So I think the ratio of, uh, of girls to boys studying economics at leaving cert level, and Dara will know an awful lot more about this, it's about 37% women and 63% men. So it starts really early on. And how that tracks through then, that tracks all the way through, all the way up to the top, whether it's the top or sideways in terms of design and outcomes for Ireland as a whole. Uh, we know that matters. And, and ISBE really is about trying to support uh, to support diversity in voice and just allowing for representation and a, a broader conversation uh, more generally. There's voices that are being heard and then there's perspectives that are being brought in. So we know that uh, we know that having different voices at a table matters for policy design and policy decisions. And that impacts on every on every level. Uh, whether it's we look at the case of the makeup of Netflix at the moment. So that's particularly male. We know that the impact of that uh, then had massive impacts in terms of factoring in the decisions on the in the early days of the pandemic, the decisions on restrictions into, say, uh, on childcare and childcare impacts. And and that then comes down to it's it's who's thinking about what when you're at the table. And that impacts on every level. So whether it's a taxation decision, uh, whether it's the direct effects of policy on, say, on the tax or is the indirect effects. So we know that women were more impacted, uh, were, were much more impacted from working from home uh, over the course of the pandemic. So there was a McKinsey study, I think, which outlined that one, women were 1.8 times more likely uh, to have negative job impacts from increasing household responsibilities over the course of the pandemic. And that's that's the indirect impact, say, of policy decisions that are being made. So you've got that interaction between how, how decision, what decisions are being made, who's making those decisions, and then thinking about how did that actually track through for people on the ground. So, so the, the challenging thing for, for us, I think, is that we know it impacts on every part of the policy production line. And I guess that's where uh, Wana, Dara and Karen will have the, the detail on the different sectors. Um, but ISBE really is about trying to provide that strategic overview on, on how do we how do we start reflecting on this objectively on are we getting are we 
are we making the best possible decisions that we can? And are we really thinking about how those decisions we make impact on the diversity and the plurality of what Ireland is today in 2021? Okay, well, thanks. That's a great overview of, I suppose, the, the general problem. Uh, so when it comes to maybe digging a bit deeper then in terms of what uh, what's driving these issues, you mentioned that we have uh, situations such as, you know, different decisions across the life cycle and how maybe it perhaps affects women in a different way than it affects men. Perhaps um, this is something that, uh, that Juana, you, you've done work on or you, you're more familiar with? Um, yeah, so I think many of the issues uh, that Rona mentioned can be traced back to a few common drivers. So first, we know that an important constraint that may contribute to the lack of women in so-called traditionally male-dominated fields is the scarce number of female role models. So young women don't see successful women in these male-dominated fields, and then may, they may select out of these professions. So the question is then, why do these historical imbalances between men and women persist in different uh, professions? And one compelling explanation in a recent book that you may have heard about on career and family by Harvard economist Claudia Golden is the rise of what she calls greedy jobs. So the fact that there are professions and careers um, that are very time demanding that require you to be available long hours and at a moment's notice. And she shows that while capable men and women start at the same pay when graduating college, 10 years after graduation, there are huge differences between men and women in terms of earning. Men get promoted, selected through, into higher earning jobs, while women don't manage to climb the corporate ladder just as fast. And the main reason for this seems to be um, the arrival of children. When children arrive, one of the parents has to step back from very time demanding jobs. And in most heterosexual couples, this is the woman. And we know from academic research that the effects of the arrival of children on women's earnings can be very, very large. Many studies have confirmed this across different countries and educational levels. And this is what the so-called child penalty results in women having around 20 to as high as 40% less uh, uh, earnings than men in the same profession. And I'd like to draw the attention maybe to science and academia where most of us are here uh, from, from uh, here today are from. And in, in this field, the evidence is even more grim. So a lot of studies show that uh, mothers are, um, mothers who are academic scientists are less likely to get tenure. So a large study from the US shows that just 27% of mothers who are academic scientists get tenured as opposed to 40% of fathers and 46% of women without children. And closer to home, for example, in Ireland, um, we know that, for example, while 41% of academic positions in economics are held by women, only 32% of these women, uh, of these uh, of, of full professors are uh, women. And I think there are many factors that contribute to this, to this trend. Um, for example, there's a lot of research that shows that women receive less credit than men for co-authored work in tenure decisions. Um, they make, uh, which makes them 15% less likely to, um, to get promoted to, uh, when controlling for um, publications. Um, they systematically spend more time in teaching yet receive lower teaching evaluation than male colleagues. And women lack mentoring and external recognition. Um, um, and, but at the core, I believe that an important reason for the fact that is the fact that academia is set up in such a way to value early career productivity. So PhDs takes five to six years to complete. 
Um, then sometimes this is followed by postdocs and five to six years of tenure track job, which means that the period in which academics are expected to be the most productive coincides with the period where, when most people uh, are thinking about starting a family and, and, and raising uh, children. And I think the COVID-19 pandemic exposed these inequalities between men and women uh, even further. So um, as Rona mentioned, there's a lot of research that shows that across many disciplines, the competing demands of homeschooling, child uh, and other care duties have um, penalized the academic productivity of women a lot more than that of men. So while at the early, in the early months of the pandemic, we've seen that submission rates to academic journals have actually increased, people have published more, there were disproportionately fewer manuscripts sent by women as compared uh, to men. And having had uh, two 11-month-old twins at the start of the first lockdown with no childcare and the added uh, work of having to move to online teaching, I can personally testify to the huge research impact, uh, um, huge hit that research impact took, uh, research activity took for uh, a lot of us with caring responsibilities. So I think as Bruna mentioned, one of the main goals of ESWI is to assure that women and girls uh, have appropriate role models uh, within our profession, which will hopefully increase their likelihood to join uh, the economics profession. And then once they join, what we hope is that they can benefit from the support of a network and mentoring that will allow them to realize their dreams. I think the differences don't happen at the hiring um, uh, point. I think at the start of the career, um, this inequality in, in earnings uh, between men uh, and women across many professions, not just academia, has, has been shown to be very, very little. So at the start of the career, both men and women, um, they, um, it's, uh, they, 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 they start with, with this more or less the same earnings, um, but it's, it's later on, there's a huge divergence. And this is across most professions, but I think it's, it's this inequality is heightened in, in uh, academia because of these, um, as I said, the way that the, 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 our profession uh, really values early career productivity and how this just comes into kind of conflict okay. with uh, any ideas of starting uh, a family and, and raising children. And I'll just add to that, there's some really interesting uh, literature on the publishing side, which obviously like totally interacts with what you have access to. So we know that well, there's literature that demonstrates that women are held to higher standards in publishing. So women spend six months longer under review than male authors and women's citations fall when they co-author with men. And there was a really interesting study just published by the LSE recently, which, which highlighted that uh, publications by women authors are cited less than men because men's research is more often focused on scientific progress, whereas research by by social social science, female social scientists often focus on social progress. So, so papers authored by women focusing on social progress are read more, but they're cited less. And then obviously that interacts massively in terms of what you have access to in terms of publications on what, what our current KPIs are for progression in an academic in an academic setting. So it's all it's all wrapped up in and of itself. Okay, okay. That's really interesting. So is it a, is the case of is it is it the choice of topic? That's that's causing that, or is it just a case of there's some sort of implicit bias 
the, the challenge with all of this as economists, we're used to thinking often in, in not necessarily in binary terms, but in terms of like the proportion of effects in a given regression. And, and in reality, a lot of this, there's all these interaction variables in the, in the reality here. So you've got female social scientists are potentially more driven towards answering social questions as economists. So papers then are focused on social progress and perhaps the more traditional philosophical elements of economics. So people read them more because they're, they're kind of more interesting, really, potentially. Uh, that's my own personal bias in terms of what makes economics interesting. Whereas male authors are often potentially more focused on the mathematical, the mathematical constructs and the and the science, the scientific progress of economics as a science, which means that we, you know, we all know here when you're when you're writing a paper, the first thing you do, you have to build your mathematical model. So you do cite the mathematical models and you're interested potentially in the in the social question that tracks into, but you're you're probably not citing social progress authors in quite the same way because you're building your own social argument, but you've rested that on the foundation of the science scientific progress, which probably means that you cite more male authors inherently within that. So that's so is that is that is that inherent bias or is that the nature of how we've designed what economics papers look like in of themselves or is it the nature of like what we're what we're tracking as good economics looks like so okay well maybe we'll move on to the next topic then so um one issue that that seems interesting as well is like the whole topic of uh underrepresentation in terms of public discussion and debate perhaps i think karen you have some information for us on that yeah thanks niall um and Brona already talked a little bit about this earlier and gave a fantastic overview, I think. So women are underrepresented in public debate and discussions. Um, so European data, for example, show that women are underrepresented in political decision-making at local, national, and European levels. Um, and so far, Sweden is actually the only country to score over 90 on something called a political power indicator, which is based on the share of women ministers, members of parliament and women in regional assemblies. So how does Ireland compare to this, right? So Ireland is actually slightly below the EU average at about 40 on this indicator. So in that sense, we are kind of behind. Um, and definitely the lack of women's voices in key decision-making roles means that their viewpoints are excluded from policies, which has an impact on the effectiveness and policies and potentially the distributional effects that these policies may have in the population. So Brona did talk uh, about the, um, the NFET, right? The composition of NFET. So there's actually this study uh, that analyzed COVID-19 task forces uh, from over 80 countries. And they find that 85% of these expert groups consisted mainly of men. And this is actually really depressing because we know from the evidence that women were actually um, hit harder socially and economically. And to not have uh, enough representation of women on these groups uh, could have had implication for the types of policies uh, that these countries could have implemented to, to address um, these gaps that women experienced. So basically the underrepresentation of women in key decision-making roles is not just a matter of fairness, um, but it's also the fact that it can have huge implications on policy effectiveness. So we're basically having a trade-off between not including between not including women and actually potentially making policies worse off. Okay, and in terms of what's driving this effect, is it similar to what we discussed already in terms of decisions across the life course? Yeah, definitely. Um, so. Um, 
one part of it is that, and I was also reading research about the fact that women actually face stronger backlash in social media. So they are criticized uh, more often and the criticisms can actually take a very, um, almost I would say dangerous nature, right? Because uh, recently I've read, for example, that politicians in the US, so uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez who is very vocal and Ilhan Omar, they've actually received death threats uh, from uh, Republican leaders. And you know, you're thinking going, oh my goodness, like if I'm thinking about trying to run for these type of positions, I'm gonna be pretty scared. Um, that's one aspect. And um, they may also have less time. So if women are uh, spending more of their time in um, domestic tasks, like child uh, rearing, taking care of children and so on, they may just not have the resources uh, to time and also to networks um, to, uh, to seek a career. Uh, in politics, I guess I think it's really interesting that we keep that we're we're thinking about it from a from a decisions across the life course perspective because as Karen has just outlined, uh, there's there's a whole range of factors in any given individual's decision. So it might be a decision for self preservation. So from a political perspective, we know that in Ireland uh, that there's there's really big uh, barriers to women entering politics. So it's not just cash. It's the selection committees in and of themselves, it's confidence, it's feeling secure in social media. So there are 22.5% female TDs in the Dáil. That's like that's that's on the basis of there currently being a 30% selection quota for, for female for uh for female politicians, which will rise to 40% in the 2023 local elections. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the women being put forward are supported or act or or enabled to get there. And then when we layer on, I think uh these elements around um, uh, the design structure, say, in the civil service. So if we go back, I think when Karen was talking about Nefesh and the and the the lack of female representation within the Irish structures, when we know that the Department of Health in and of itself of the eight eight senior leader roles within the Department of Health in Ireland, only two of them are women. So when we think about it, well, that's not necessarily a choice as, as to whether or not you get promoted or you're going for it, it but it might be about what options are available to you so I think we we need to just be mindful of what is an individual's choice and what what the choices are that are available and whether or not those choices uh what what those choices reflect in and of themselves from a social perspective and the structures that we've set up for access maybe we've on to the last topic then and uh so Dara you've some information on education and training and how that affects maybe the lack of diversity so I think as Brony mentioned, it, like from if you look at secondary education in, in Ireland, roughly, and it hasn't changed in the past almost 10 years in terms of the proportion of males and females doing economics at the leaving cert, it's roughly around two thirds, one third. So, it's, you know, it's, it's around 35 percent um, female uh, um, in terms of uh, at leaving cert. Uh, in terms of performance, if anything, girls are outperforming boys in terms of in terms of that. There's no real difference in terms of performance. When you go to third level, then that proportion actually at undergrad stays somewhat consistent. It's about a third in terms of taking economics as an undergraduate study. And then this is from the HEA statistics and the same at postgrad then as well. So it's trying to, I suppose that highlights some issues at hand, but also kind of helps identify is there potential in terms of, you know, that, that pipeline does it start earlier, basically, you know, in terms of second level. Um, and I suppose from a personal point of view, it was just interesting, you know, it would be interesting for me as a, as a lecturer in economics, as a course director here as well, I teach first years as well, where first year arts, where they make a choice, you know, at the end of first year of why people make those, even when they get to college, you know, why they make those choices. And 
and I see it in front of my eyes in terms of gender representation isn't um I'm I hate to say but isn't great in terms of particularly at the postgrad level um from what I see in economics so it's just those kind of questions and delving into those questions I think are are interesting you know why you might see those trends is it like in the Irish case is it structural is it that we don't that if it's you know single sex schools for instance question we don't know the answers to these yet but hopefully yeah. we'll get to them for instance that you know, single sex schools, uh, all girls schools, do they not offer economics? Is there reasons for that? You know, is there reasons why we can help explain and potentially improve these kind of uh, statistics? But they're, they're somewhat remarkably statistics for, in terms of Australia as well. Those statistics, like of a third, two thirds, are, are relatively consistent in the UK and Australia as well, relative to Ireland as well. So it's kind of interesting in that kind of sense as well. Um, those kinds of statistics and, and getting into the reasons for those, I think, would be um, um, uh, of interest to the group as well. When I bring it all together in my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it sounds like we have an issue where maybe at school it's, it seems to be pretty level, but then especially when you get to postgrad, there's maybe more men than women going towards studying economics. So it's important to understand why that is the case. And then for the women that stay on doing economics, there's difficulties when you get to certain stages of your life that it coincides with certain career crunch points. And uh, there's a bottleneck there in terms of time and, and resources. And then perhaps even when it goes on to maybe more advanced roles, there are other things in place in terms of other situations you have to deal with that maybe perhaps uh, are a further barrier. I, yeah, I think, and I think, to be honest, that kind of ties in nicely even with the different pillars that Brona and Orlan have kind of uh, spearheaded inside in the society. So, you know, you have different pillars that, that have, uh, and we've kind of, as a committee, been assigned different tasks and, you know, to drive things in different kind of areas. And, you know, you have life cycle and career, you have public debate, you have education and training, these three kind of pillars that we, we have different groups involved and di different subcommittees almost or subgroups involved to look at and to to, to look at these things um, and bring them together then as a group when we meet um, to discuss them. You know, that there are different different issues at different points along the life cycle that, you know, there's, that might need different solutions or different interventions as such uh, or can be informed by different research across the world or, or in Ireland as the case may be. So it, that the, the 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 map you set out there, Niall, I suppose, explains well, kind of motivates well in terms of the the design of of ISWI in a way, in terms of those pillars and the structures that have been um, um, uh, that have been put in place. You know, so um, yeah. No, so so I know these are the questions that you're trying to answer. So you don't have the answers at the moment. But uh, is there any like is there any research in an international context on each of these steps? Maybe starting with education why is it that maybe men are more inclined to to, to stick with economics th than women well just there's research in australia so it's driven by the uh, um, uh, reserve bank in australia around surveying just like a lot of things just you know when you don't have the answer you should collect new data potentially with a kind of fairly novel kind of research question so they they sampled uh high school students essentially in australia and asked them in terms of their views and economics and and looked at analyzed it then across those economic and across gender and what they found, in I know it's get, getting away from cause and effect, it was more just looking at it in a general kind of issue, but it was, you know, that girls in, in high school tended to tended to see, uh, uh, didn't see economics as important to society. There were slight gaps in terms of that, in terms of gender. And as well as that, there was, um, could do well in it was a big thing in terms of like, girls didn't feel as strongly as boys at that age that they could do well in a discipline like economics. So I think, you know, there's something going on there in terms of, I suppose, that a if it's a perception or if it's coming true in terms of from teachers, if it's, you know, a role model type of effect, 
that there is even at that relatively young age uh, in terms of kind of middle of high school that there is the perception that oh no I if I pick economics I won't do as well compared to something else or compared to boys or you know so um there hasn't been anything in, in the Irish kind of case for that but that's 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 one thing in terms of that points yeah. towards some potential yeah. and drivers. I, and we know that as economists, I think we all know how hard it is to explain what we do or what our jobs are to people outside of economics. So I think as a discipline more broadly, people are always a little bit uh, a little bit unclear as to what it is. And I think trying to communicate that to 16 or 17 year olds is really is really challenging. And um, when we layer on on top, YouGov did an interesting poll. YouGov in the UK uh, did an interesting poll just a couple of years ago. Uh, economists were third from the bottom in terms of who the public trusts. So we ranked just above politicians and, and local politicians. So we're not doing too great in terms of in terms of, uh, you know, public accessibility. So there's probably a, a disciplinary question for us more broadly there as well, which is, which is compounds everything that Dara was outlining. Uh, like even things even within that Australian survey, you know that you can see there's statistical differences between boys and girls in terms of like, the, you know, uh, the, the girls were more likely to say that business, general business, studying general business is more interesting to them compared to studying economics. So, you know, which, which you know, the economist me in me would find galling, you know, that you'd find marketing or something like that more interesting, you know. So, um, so getting at the reasons, again, is it school specific those kind of reasons behind that within that again i think are, are probably interesting to look at again but it's it's um it's early days yet so hope we'll get there hopefully yeah just that's helpful to try and understand in terms of the that that stage of of the process the whole education stage but then when it comes to the life cycle stage i suppose it's clear to understand what the problem is but in terms of what the solution is it's not so easy when when it comes to this decision being taken in inside the family, what we see the evidence so far is that more often than not in, uh, in, in heterosexual couples, it's the woman that decides to kind of take a step, step back from this greedy job, kind of time consuming jobs that I was mentioning um, earlier. So leaving this as the decision of the household, we have seen does not improve uh, women's career progression. So I think that there've been Countries that have tried different models that um, seem to, to, to work better in which, for example, there are countries in which um, the, the parental leave is split between men and the woman. So both men and women can take, so there's 12 months of parental leaves and that can be shared among the, the mother and the father. Um, but then the more the father takes, the, the, the parental leave gets extended. So you benefit for more months if the father takes a disproportionately larger share of this. I think this can go a long way uh, in, in just bridging this gap in terms of career development between um, uh, men and women. But in terms of the goals of our uh, association of ISWI, um, when we think of the life cycle and career pillar, um, what we mainly look at at the moment is to try to support and promote the career uh, development of, of, of female economists. And as I was mentioning earlier, there's a lot of evidence that shows that the fact that women get less access to mentoring and social networks that support research activities can be an important uh, barrier to female economists' uh, careers progression. So our first goal with ISWE uh, and under the life cycle and career period, for example, is to build the public registry of women economists uh, in Ireland. And with this, we want to establish a mentoring program where early career economists can benefit from advice from more senior ones. And I think 
we believe that the creation of such a space where women and men can share experience and we can provide a network of support for those that are identified as female economies uh, can, can go a long way to making our profession more inclusive and help decrease this gap in career developments uh, of, of women economies. We also hope to establish strong social networks and create opportunities for uh, female economists in, based in Ireland to meet and uh, establish collaborations. So for example, we're working on setting up several networking events in the, in the coming months uh, where we could have career talks given by successful female economists. So all with the goal of creating a, a support network that can help uh, women um, who chose the career of, 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 of an economist to realize um, their full potential. Yeah, just building on what Wana and what Dara, uh, Dara were saying about uh, our three different pillars in Derizvi. So we've got our life cycle and career, uh, uh, public debate and discussion and, and education and training. And within each of these, you know, as economists, we're all really keen to understand what the issues are, but we're very focused on the point of ISVI is to try and have impact and influence and support a collective response to change. And with that, we have our, our superpower of, of collectivity. So bringing people together as Wana was outlining, but we're all about data and evidence. So once you, you build your collection, you're bringing people together on the foundations of data, then that's what we're hoping for to try and really spark the conversations and have the impact. Um, so we've had a number of, couple of different events so far um, where we'll give a platform, try and give platform to women economists in Ireland at the same time as bringing people together and yeah are planning on a few more over the next few months um, and just yeah keep keep going <laughs> yeah and just to come to the, to the final topic of uh when it comes to you know public discussion and debate and that seems like a much more difficult one to try to tr try and deal with it is uh yeah it is a, a quite a challenging one um so for now, our focus is, first of all, to provide platforms for female economists in Ireland to share their research with decision makers and the wider audience. And how we're doing this, as Brona mentioned just now, is we do have uh, events coming up and we have already done one on a budget analysis. And we do have events coming up where we are portraying um, basically um, the work of female economists and underrepresented um, researchers in Ireland to give them this space for them to share their work. Um, and of course, uh, we are also working on increasing the awareness and also um, uh, to get more support on this issue of gender bias in economics. Um, and one of the ways we are doing this is, of course, uh, having these series of podcasts with Niall, who is, is very, um, we're delighted to be collaborating with Niall on this, uh, to first of all, shed light on this issue of gender bias in economics, and then to talk about uh, policy issues in various um, domains specific to Ireland. Okay, well, that sounds that sounds good. Um, just one general question that comes to mind. Um, when I think about, I suppose, the objectives of ISWI, and it's a bit like, it reminds me of when you're dealing with auctions, because you're trying to find, the solution is it's very hard to find, and by definition, it's sort of, I wonder, so what would be the benchmark of success? Is it a case of just finding, understanding a bit better of what, what's going on, or will you be looking at maybe trying to see, monitoring the change in, in diversity? It's, uh, it's, because if we're dealing with preferences, it can be very difficult to measure. Yeah. 
that's a fantastic question, Niall. And it's one that we're trying to hone in on ourselves because like as a, <laughs> we're, our problem is we are all economists. So we like to think about input, output, outcomes and what are you actually get, what are you actually achieving here? And the challenge in any sort of kind of advocacy or influencing space is that it's much harder to measure and it's much more, it's much more fluid and organic and a whole rainbow of, of, of colors as to how you, how you actually get there. And like, as Karen was saying, when we, if we think about it in the context of public debate and discussion, what we're trying to do is, is to uplift the conversation and start shining a light on on some of the the issues the biases and the implications of the fact that those biases exist so like as dara was outlining we're undertaking these these research projects and trying to understand say that how many schools across ireland allow provide economics as a as a secondary as a leaving cert subject and what's the what's the proportion of girls and boys taking that and how does that track through once we get those bits of data, we'll put that sort of data out on our social media channels to spark the conversation and to spark the reflection. And, and in terms of, of what we can achieve ourselves, we can outline what, what do we have direct impact on and then what are we what can we try and hope to change in terms of a conversation. So we can't influence directly uh, how many women are elected to the doll or how many women are secretary generals of government departments but we can make sure and we can try and be part of the conversation to draw attention to the fact that this representation matters and that there's a pipeline along the way to get there so we're trying to dig into what our superpowers are here as economists it's data and evidence to spark a conversation that's about social change and that's what we can we can uh, feel good i think in the very fact that we've come together collectively that as a bunch of economists who are very focused on getting it right have managed to move ourselves into a space where we're thinking about okay influence and conversation and connectivity uh, rather than trying to make sure that we get to an answer or a solution along the way that sounds yeah that sounds good it sounds like just how you would evaluate an auction is if you have all the structures in place when the outcome should should work itself out and that sounds like what you're what you're working towards fingers crossed <laughs> um i wonder is there any difference in terms of for people working in industry is, is that something that you've any anybody's encountered or uh, yeah well my 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 experience working in economic consultancy so i'm not there anymore but i um, was very focused uh, and very supportive from a women in economics uh, networks across the uk and australia and i think what you've got there is you you have businesses that are thinking about how do we make ourselves a good place to work and I think it's hard to hire technical economists in industry because you need people who are good with numbers and good with people so so you've got firms who are who have a who have a commercial incentive uh, to try and think about gender balance within from a from a from a business perspective um, which is quite different I think to an academic or a public policy setting who who have different different incentive structures really yeah. at, at the very base level, yeah. I did my undergraduate studies in Romania and, and this is a, a country where the large majority of my econ and business lecturers were actually women. Um, and this is the case of, for a lot of Eastern European countries where economics is to a lesser extent a male dominated field as it's probably seen in Ireland. So I personally benefited from a lot of great role models earlier on in my academic career. And actually the main reason why I ended up pursuing a PhD in economics was due to an amazing female lecturer that I had. And so I realized later on how much this has had an impact on my career choices and what I hope to achieve and what we can hope, we hope to achieve with ISWA is that we will maybe be able to have the same 
impact on future generations of, of female economies, of female students. So for example, one great highlight of my career so far was having several MSc students come to me and tell me that they were inspired to do a PhD macro because of, because of my class. So I hope that you know, ESB can make an impact, such an impact at a, at a larger scale. So that's why I'm very excited to be, to be part of this project. Thank you very much to my guests and thank you all for listening. Season four is in the works and we'll be with you shortly and I'm looking forward to talking to you soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.